0: Well, this is our final week of this topic of Christ. Uh, We call it Christology, the study of who Christ is. And so week one, we talked about Christ, the Son of God, as eternally begotten from the Father. Uh, From eternity, he's always come from the Father, uh, generated but not created, not made by the Father. And then the second week, we talked about the two natures of Jesus Uh, The divine nature came to join a human nature, and so Jesus in the flesh is both divine and human, and we talked about how those two natures, they do not mix together. So that's very important. Uh, They are one person, two natures, and those two natures aren't mixed together. But then last week we talked about how they are united. So we tried to understand what does it mean to be United but not mixed together. And so the Bible says that they are united by the personhood, the personhood of the son of God. Uh, so in that sense, remember, we can talk about the person as having human qualities and also having divine qualities. So that, that verse that I always come back to in Acts 20, verse 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. And that's because he is the person, the son of God, with a human nature which has blood. So we talked about that last week. Now today, the last one, uh, we're going to talk about something called the extra. Okay, the extra. Doesn't that sound so cool? That sounds so exciting. Uh, you've probably heard you know, that or seen this uh, kind of cliched uh, clip, maybe a video clip or something, of a, a newsboy standing uh, on the sidewalk in the early 1900s, and he's waving a newspaper, and he says, extra, extra, read all about it. What does that mean? Well, the extra would be the extra edition of the newspaper for the day. You know that they would print the newspaper early in the morning, uh, very early, so that they could get the delivery out by the time people woke up. And uh, they would print the days and the night's previous news. But then sometimes there would be something so important that happens that they would then have to print an extra edition. So something would happen early in the morning, and they would print a new second edition all about that news, and that was called the Extra, the Extra Edition. And so today I'm going to say to you, we're going to wave the Extra, and I want you to hear all about it and what it is, and maybe you'll even go home, maybe you'll be so confused that you'll have to go read all about it. So what does Extra mean? Well, it's a Latin word. It's a Latin word that means outside or beyond. So the extra edition of a newspaper is an edition beyond the normal edition of the newspaper. And so this thing called the extra is the extra of the Son of God. The Son of God beyond, extra, beyond flesh. Now, this uh, $1,000 theology word is, uh, in Latin, extra Calvinisticum. So if you ever want to impress people at a party, you go ask them what they think about the extra Calvinisticum, and I'm sure you'll be the life of the party, or people will just give you strange looks. So uh, it's called the extra Calvinisticum because it's uh, attributed to John Calvin, and we'll talk about how that came up in a little bit, but it didn't really start with him. It's not really his thing. It's it's from uh, almost the beginning of the the New Testament and the church and how they explained Christ. Uh, So the, the Son of God beyond the flesh. What we're talking about is what's going on with the Trinity while the Son of God is in flesh. Are the Father and Spirit up in heaven while the Son, the, the other person of the Trinity, is down on earth? Was all that the Son of God was doing, was all of that limited to what he was doing in his human body from the moment that he entered into Mary's womb and then walked on in Galilee and And he was in the boats on the Sea of Galilee. Was the Son of God limited to the womb or to the boat? Uh, Was the divine nature of the Son in heaven while the human nature was on earth? And now today, because the Son of God still today is in flesh, right? He ascended up into heaven in his flesh, and he's on the throne in his flesh. So now what about today? Is he limited to that place in heaven? Or is the Son of God, can we say that he's everywhere even right now? So here is what the extra means. Here is the definition. The Son of God was not limited to his human existence. Not limited to his human existence. But continued to exist beyond the flesh. So he continued to exist extra, beyond the flesh. A church father, Cyril, oh, let me give you another definition first. Uh, the son lived his life totally in the flesh and totally outside the flesh. Now that sounds like a paradox. That sounds maybe like a contradiction. It's a paradox, it's, it's mysterious, it's hard to understand but it can be true that at the same time, he is totally in the flesh and totally outside the flesh. That's the extra. Uh, So now the church father, Cyril of Alexandria, uh, he was in the 400s. So this is one example of a thousand years before Calvin. Calvin did not come up with this, but he was a church father who talked a lot about Christ, uh, who, who Christ was. So, This is what he says. When seen as a babe and wrapped in swaddling clothes, even while still in the bosom of the virgin who bore him, he filled all creation as God and was enthroned with him who begot him. That's the father. So he was on the throne with the father, even while in the bosom of Mary being held in the arms of Mary. For the divine cannot be numbered or measured or contained. So because the divine God cannot be contained, the Son of God was not contained to being that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so he says, even on the throne... Uh, even while he was a human, he was still on the throne in his divine nature in heaven. So you know, some of our songs, they uh, talk about the son of God coming down from heaven. Uh, from heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her. And then there's, a, there's another hymn that says, uh, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite, his grace. Well, in one sense, you know, I think we all know what that means, right? What, all it really means is that the Son of God came to earth and came to be flesh. But in another sense, those statements aren't really accurate because he didn't leave the throne. He was still the divine on the throne, the divine God, and yet his human nature or his divine nature also was on earth. At the same time, united to flesh. I tried to think, and maybe you guys can correct me after this, but I tried to think, does the Bible ever say that kind of thing? That he, like, moves, he leaves. So, like I was thinking about Philippians 2, it just says he humbles himself and takes on the form of a servant. But it doesn't say he left heaven. Anyway, so maybe you can think of a place that that says he left heaven and I'll stand corrected but I couldn't think of one and so we have this idea that he still remains everywhere as God so uh, what's wrong if we don't believe this well we need to start with understanding the trinity and if we don't understand this we can we can explain or, or understand the trinity in the wrong way um, when the Son of God becomes a man and takes on a human nature, that doesn't change who God is. It can't change the Trinity. It can't change God. God does not change. Malachi three sixteen says, I the, uh, 3:6, I, the Lord, do not change. So the Son of God could not change something about himself as the Son, as, as God, or else he wouldn't be God. Uh, Also, when it comes to the Trinity, the Trinity can't be divided. There is one God, one being, one essence. And so everything the Trinity does, they are together. So John 10, verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. So it can't be that the Son of God would divide from the other two when he comes down to earth. So the entire Trinity has to always continue as God in the divine nature, or you have this not really a trinity. It's, it's a splitting into three. Okay, so uh, why is it called the extra calvinisticum? How did this come up? Usually these things come up because people start arguing, and uh, they give names to things when they start arguing. Um, it came up with Calvin because they were debating with the Lutherans over the Lord's Supper. I don't know if anybody here grew up Lutheran, but does anybody know what Lutherans believe about the Lord's Supper when it comes to the presence of Christ? Tony? I think it's not but it's that not, he has not that His presence is there. Right. Right, so his physical presence is with the bread and the wine. That's what the Lutherans taught, Luther taught. Uh, So uh, we don't believe that he is physically present, right? Um, But he is spiritually present. And we know that Catholics teach that he is physically present because it becomes, according to them, the body and blood of Christ. But Lutherans... They were saying Christ's physical body is there in the bread or with the bread, around the bread. I don't really know how to explain it, but it is there with the bread and the wine. So how do they explain that? Well, then they started to say that must mean that Christ's body, physical body, can be multiple places at once. Because right now there's probably a church in London observing the Lord's Supper they're ahead of, ahead of us, right? So they're, they're probably in, doing an evening service right now. And there's probably a church somewhere in, on the East Coast observing the Lord's Supper right now. So if Christ is physically present, he must be physically present in multiple places at the same time. So how could that be possible? And the Lutheran answer was that the divine nature could influence the human nature of Christ. So that omnipresence, which is an attribute of God, could uh, influence the body of Christ. And Christ's physical body could be in many places at once. Hopefully, uh, that should bring up some red flags with you, uh, especially after the last few weeks. Because we've been trying to make it very clear that those two, the divine and human natures, they don't mix in with each other. And so that would be a problem. Uh, I'm not saying that Luther is a heretic, but what he believed about the Lord's Supper was not consistent with what he believed about Christ because the divine nature can't mix with the human nature. So along came the Reformed people like John Calvin, and they said, well, human nature can only be one place at one time. So the body of Christ is only one place at one time. Right now, the body of Christ is in heaven. But does that mean that the Son of God can't be everywhere? They said no, because the divine nature of God is everywhere. Okay? So that's the extra. His physical body is in heaven, but his divine nature is everywhere. I want to look at the Heidelberg Catechism. Maybe you've heard of this one. And they quote some verses, so then we're going to start getting into the Bible and looking at some verses. Uh, The Heidelberg Catechism was written around that time in the 1500s by the Reformed theologians, pastors. They're going through the Apostles' Creed, and so they ask the question first, what happens, uh, what do we mean when Christ ascended into heaven? Which is what the Apostles' Creed says. And so the answer is, Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That's pretty simple, right? Christ ascended into heaven. But now, the next question of the Catechism, this is 47, says, Is Christ, then, not with us until the end of the world, as he promised us? So, You just told me Christ is in heaven, but doesn't Christ promise to always be with us? So here's the answer. Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. And so the verse that they're citing is Matthew 28, 19 to 20. You can look that up if you want, but maybe you know it by memory. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Lo, I am with you always. So Jesus says, I am with you always. So that must be true. He is present with us as God. then the the next question, then, how how can this be, basically, is question 48. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other? If his human nature is not present, wherever his divinity is? Okay, so do you see what they're saying? Um, If the divine nature is everywhere, but the body is in heaven... Aren't we splitting the two natures of Christ? And didn't we say last week that they are united? They cannot be separated. Uh, So here's the answer. Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. Okay, so, the divinity, by definition, has to have no limits. It has to be present everywhere. So, when he unites his divine nature to his human nature, he... Uh, Is uh, really taking on that human nature, but he cannot be giving up anything about being God. Uh, Let's just uh, remind ourselves in the Bible that God is everywhere. Here's one verse uh, in Acts chapter 7. If you can look that up with me in your Bible. Acts chapter 7, verse 48. Seven forty-eight and 49 yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool what kind of house will you build for me says the Lord or what is the place of my rest did not my hand make all these things so heaven is my throne earth is my footstool uh, God doesn't dwell in houses made by hands because he he is not limited to houses. He, He is everywhere. That's what this verse is saying. So again, if the real God, the biblical God, is going to take on flesh, it has to be the omnipresent God, the God who is everywhere. If the Son of God gives up, His omnipresence, we can't say that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. It's not the fullness of God in that case. It's God minus something. We can't say the word became flesh. It would be the word without some aspects of who he was as the word and his very nature of who he is. God can't handicap himself or else he's not God. Maybe uh, you've heard of like handicapping in horse racing or in golf. Uh, In horse racing, they put weights on the horse because he's too good. He's too fast and he wins all the races. So they have to handicap him and make him slow down. And so if we uh, don't believe in what's this thing called the extra What we have to say then is that the Son of God handicapped himself as God uh, so that he could become a man. But God is all-powerful. God is everywhere all the time. All right, so we'll start wrapping up with a few more points. So what was the Son of God doing then outside, extra, beyond the flesh while he was in the flesh let's look at colossians chapter 1 colossians 1 verse 15 colossians 1:15 says he is the image of the invisible god notice in verse 16 we have, this is talking about Christ, the Son of God Uh, we have the past tense all things were created they were created, so that's past tense, right? but then verse 17 is in the present tense he is before all things, and in him all things are Hold together. Now, if you go down to verse 19, uh, we got past tense again. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So, okay, so obviously Paul is writing this after Christ died, came and died and rose from the dead, right? So, in the past, Christ created as the Son of God. And then in the past, from Paul's writing, Christ, the Son of God, was pleased to dwell as a man on this earth. But, verse 17, is in the present. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. Remember, Jesus, right now, is in a human body. And yet, as God... In the divine nature, right now, in the present, he is holding all things together. So being in the human nature doesn't limit him from holding all things together. And so I think we can say also that while he was on the earth, nothing's really changed from uh, the moment he's taken flesh. He was on the earth in a body, he's still now in a body, on the earth. He was holding all things together. Together. Let's also look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, This again is talking about the Son. I'll start reading in verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So there you have past again, created. Now we have present in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the Son of God, as God, as the divine nature, right now upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything that is existing is being held together by the divine nature of the Son of God. Now, personally, I think this is the most worshipful, truth about Jesus Christ, as far as his person, not not his work, but, but who he is, is to think about this. And th- this is the most amazing thing that this is what, what Christmas is supposed to all be about, right? That the Son of God took on flesh, became a man, was a baby. It's amazing to think that as the baby in the manger or even the baby, the very young baby in the womb of Mary was upholding the world. He was the very one who is creating all those cells and holding all those cells together in that, that umbilical cord that fed himself and the manger, if the manger was made out of wood, maybe it was, maybe it was stone, but either way, if it's a manger of wood, that wood is made out of atoms and particles that have to hold up his baby body as his, his baby body is there laying in a manger and the manger is being held together by the son of God. Without the Son of God's power, the word of his power, this world wouldn't exist. Everything would completely fall apart. The magi who are traveling from the east, they are watching a star and they're following a star. And not only did the Son of God create the star, but he's holding that star together at that very moment. And he is moving the star himself, guiding The Magi to himself as a baby in his human nature. He comes and he receives gold and frankincense and myrrh that he created. The hearts of the shepherds that are beating to enable them to travel to go see the baby, those hearts are beating because the Son of God is making them beat. I think that is the most glorious thing about the Son of God taking on flesh. One more uh, thing that the Son was doing beyond the flesh. What was Jesus doing when he was dead? He died on a Friday afternoon. He rose on Sunday morning. Now I'm not talking about like where was he physically located? Uh, his body was in the tomb. But what did he do as the divine son of God? Well, let's look at uh, John chapter 2, verse 19. Two more passages that we're going to look up. John 2, verse 19. They're talking here about uh, the temple being destroyed, right? And Jesus is in the temple. And in verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. So the temple of his body, he says, I will raise it up. So according to this verse, the Son of God raised the body Of Jesus. But how could he do that if he was dead? Well, it's because (laughs) there is the divine nature acting beyond the dead flesh of the human nature of Jesus' body. Uh, Then there's John chapter 10. This is our last passage. John chapter 10, 17. 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So, Jesus is telling us that everything he's doing, he's doing voluntarily. He's voluntarily laying down his life. Nobody's killing him. I mean, they are killing him, but, but it's because he has uh, allowed that his life is going to end. So he lays down his life and he says, I have authority to take it up again. I have the ability to raise myself from the dead. Why? Because... The Son of God in his divine nature exists beyond the flesh to raise up his own body. You might know some verses like Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, It's possible that, that God there is referring to the father maybe but it's just as possible it's the trinity so god does raise jesus from the dead that is a true statement and it is true that it's the son of god who raises himself from the dead so the divine nature exists beyond outside the flesh of jesus christ even in those three days while he his body's in the tomb Well, uh, I know that a lot of this is hard stuff to think about, and uh, especially when it's early in the morning. You probably are uh, not not exactly uh, fully awake. And uh, the extra is one of those fancy words, but try to remember that all of these things are like guardrails, uh, it's easier to say what's wrong about what you shouldn't believe about Christ than to explain uh, what what is true. Uh, and in the sense that uh, the, the truth about Christ and about the Trinity is so beyond our small minds. Uh, God is much greater than we are. And so it is hard to think about how all of these things can be true, but Remember that these are guardrails that can keep us from believing things that are false or saying things that are false. So we don't want to think that, you know, the Son of God somehow died, that His divine nature was somehow dead for three days. That would be a false conclusion. So all of these things that we've been talking about for four weeks, uh, they are guardrails. And maybe when you hear things other people say or teachers might say, hopefully some red flags will go up in your mind. We want to know Christ and worship him uh, because of the true Christ that we see in his word. Well, let's uh, conclude then. Let's pray that God will help us with that. Our Lord Jesus, we do want to praise you. You are the Son of God, very God of very God. We praise you for your great power in creating this world, holding all things together, uh, that all things are created for you. We pray, God, that you would help us to glorify you, help us to be in awe of you, far beyond Uh, even our our comprehension. We thank you, God, that uh, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways uh, because you are God and not us. You are not a God that we can come up with and imagine. And so uh, we thank you. And we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you for your word to help us understand who you are. And we thank you and praise you that the Son of God took on flesh. And we worship Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want to to bow before you, fall before your face as John did in Revelation. We fall before you because you are the great God the God that created this world. And we desire to show our love to you. We desire to show our love to you for your great work of salvation. We thank you for your great plan that uh, you humbled yourself and you were obedient to the point of death on a cross. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to grow In this time on earth that you've given us, help us to understand you better. Help us to love you more. Help us to live our lives in sacrifice, doing whatever you call us to do, because you are worthy. You are worthy of all things. And so we pray that for the rest of this day, uh, our hearts may sing your praises that our minds would be fixed upon you. And we ask all these things through the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.